All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my very good friend, Philip Vallejo, and my new friend, Eli Harrison. Um, we're kind of doing a little bit of a, a three-way call here today for the podcast. Uh, so you guys know, Eli Harrison is somewhat new to the two-day national level matches. I actually had the honor to shoot with him last weekend at the uh, Guardian match in Arizona, him and his wife. And Philip Vallejo, all of you guys should know, he's actually the new national champion for the Precision Rifle Series. Congratulations, Philip. How are you? Good, Travis. Thank you. Uh, I would I don't know if I would consider myself champ, so that I take overall seasons points. But I did, you know, I did place well against the top, you know, nation shooters that uh, in one day. So or in a, in a weekend. So that was that was fun. No, you did great. So our format for today's show is Philip being a quote unquote seasoned shooter and Eli being somewhat of a new shooter. I wanted to introduce these two guys. You guys have never met before, correct? No, we have not. I don't think we have. Uh, no, I'm. I know who you are obviously being getting into the shooting industry and wanting to compete, but no, I don't. I don't believe we've ever met. I've RO'd a few matches, but I don't think you've ever shot at any of the ones I've RO'd. Awesome. So we know Philip, Eli. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about? you know, how you got into competitive shooting and what you've done so far and what you plan to do with the sport. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I live in Western Colorado, um, in a little town called Palisade. My family has been here for, oh, 30. My dad moved here about 30 years ago and we, um, he started peach farming and organic peach farm. So I grew up on a peach farm. Um, he moved to Colorado pretty much cause he liked peach farming and hunting. So I've been hunting ever since I was old enough to uh, get a license and tote a gun. And even before that, I went with him. So my, my background is really based on, on hunting. Um, I had never done any sort of competitive shooting. Um, so really what got me into the precision rifle is, uh, I guess like anyone does when you're on YouTube, you're watching one video and then you go to another and another and another. And soon you're not watching anything you were watching to begin with. So I, I ended up watching a promo for, um, I think it was the Precision Rifle series, just a short, you know, two or three minute promo video, and it caught my interest. And so, just from there, I slowly watched more videos and kind of learned more about the sport. And it seemed like something that uh, really uh, piqued my interest and sounded fun. So I, uh, I got looking on the different shooting websites and found a one of your guys's national rifling matches was going to be held in craig and so i i messaged uh robert quigley the guy that um was the match director for that and i didn't know anybody that shot anything like this so i i pretty much just told him i'd like to come up and help you guys ro and showed up with a bunch of peaches to the shoot and ro'd and it just took off from there so i've, I've ro'd uh two national rifling matches one prs match and then uh, the match I shot with you this past weekend was actually the first, first really any match I've ever shot, um, even including one days. I shot I shot about 50 rounds at a small just match where about four or five guys went out and just shot some targets that were left from that that actual NRL match. But that that was the extent of my experience in shooting this style of match before this last weekend. Nice. So this weekend you actually shot. 
very well for that being your first national type level match. Um, I suppose so. I I came in forty six the first day in the singles stage out of I, around a hundred shooters, and uh, the second day I actually shot with a friend of Phillips, uh, Nick. Um, he said he knew you, um, and uh, we ended up coming <laughs> in third the second day in the team match out of I, I think thirty six or thirty seven teams. So we did pretty well the second day. Nice. So. We got Philip on the line here. Uh, Eli, you had a bunch of questions you wanted to ask from your perspective as a quote-unquote new shooter. So let's jump into it. What are some of the things that you want to ask Philip? Okay, well, I, I guess the first question really anybody asks when they are looking to get into something like this is if you had to give somebody – I won't say a cartridge that you would tell them to look at starting with, but what caliber would you recommend somebody maybe like me that has hunted, but basically it's a completely foreign, foreign thing to us. What would you recommend to somebody getting in for their first caliber? That's a very that, good question. That's a, that's a super good question. Uh, before I get into that, Eli, uh, first I want to thank you. Uh, for just being an RO, right? Uh, it takes a lot to RO to dedicate, you know, uh, I mean, three weekends out of, you know, your 52 weeks to watch us have fun. So I want to say thanks for that. Um, but going back to your, your question, I think um, it, it, it's gonna, always going to be based off shooter to shooter, right? Because a lot of times, you know, guys are, are getting into either long range or specifically competition or wanting a hybrid of competition and hunting in the sense that, Okay, if if I'm want something that'll balance between both, I'm always going to re recommend the six five Creedmoor in the sense that there's, you know, there's a lot of great bullets out there, you know, that that'll do the application of of uh, of competition as well as hunting. You know, it'll be it'll be a good very very good hunting round for you know uh, medium size uh, even up to large size game. Uh, but if if you're going strictly for competition, um, I'm very partial to the three oh eight. You know, I think that 308 is a good starting caliber to uh, exploit a lot of your flaws um, as you build your foundation of, of long range shooting. You know what I mean? The uh, fundamentals of marksmanship, as, as I like to call it, um, you know, in, in the sense that a lot of people think that the 308 is going to make you a better wind caller. We have, you know, we have technology and ballistic software out there nowadays. It's like, that correct that gives me a correction as long as i can read what the wind is four to six miles an hour whatever the case is like i'm gonna have a ballistic solver that gives me a, a calculation for that right same thing we do i do with the six five creed or six creed so i don't think the 308 necessarily does give you um a uh you know you know it gives you an advantage of being a better wind call it gives you the advantage of okay this is how my position works right because a lot of it is you know Travis and Chris uh, way talked about it in the last podcast was being able to spot your own impacts, make the correction in order to get back on target to have the desired effects on target. And that's essentially kind of the name of the game. Right. Right. Well, yeah. also I, I want to add to that the 308, you know, I started my precision rifle training with the 308 as well. Um, obviously the 308 has a lot more recoil so not only, you know, if you train with the 308, 
it's going to make you have better fundamentals and body positioning, but it's going to also help you learn how to mitigate recoil better. Is that correct, Philip? Or am I yeah. off? No, no, you're right. Um, and and not not to say that six five Creedmoor doesn't have recoil and stuff like that, or you can't learn to to, to tame recoil with a six five Creedmoor. Um, you know, but the the question that you have to ask yourself is, okay, you know, how much am I willing to invest into the sport? In the sense that, you know, with a six five Creedmoor, now you're looking at a three thousand, you know, max barrel life, right? Um, and depending on how often you're shooting. Right, you know, a three thousand round barrel life will last you probably say about five matches, six. You know, that's including you know um, practices in between, right? Um, or if you're just shooting six five Creedmoor for matches, up to ten matches, right? You know, about you say three hundred rounds a match. That's including low development or whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, I think I mean it's a, it's a solid question, but. Uh, you know, because I'm partial to the 308, because that's where I started my foundation, and now I, I still have a 308 to this day. Um, I think a 308 is a is a good starting platform for a, a newer shooter getting into the sport. Awesome. Yeah, I know we we shot this last weekend, and I ended up um, my rifle I built a 65 by 47, and your friend Nick he was shooting a 308, and uh, I, he's a much better shooter than I am, and he he shot probably hit more targets that second day with his 308 even out to 800 yards than than i did with my 65 so it's definitely uh it's definitely doable with the 308 <laughs> yeah so my, my question to you as 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 you got into the sport what leaned you to the 65 by 47 so what what really drew me to the 65 of 47 is I mean I bounced all around with just going a, a standard 65 and then a six Creed more um, and a few other cartridges even the 308 I, I had toyed with but I, I talked to some a few people and, and everybody I talked to has some sort of a story with the 6547 that they, they went to something else and that you know the 6547 still kind of holds a sweet spot in their heart is because for some reason everybody really likes it. And I was also told that they're really, uh, they're not picky what you shoot in them. And me being a new shooter, haven't I just started reloading this a few months ago this summer. So I'm pretty new to the whole reloading game. And I'm actually going to ask you a question about reloading next. But um, so that's what made me go with the 6547 was the fact that it sounded like it was a pretty non-temperamental caliber. Yeah, so it's it's consistent, right? Um, you know that, and that's what we're trying to find in the sport is is consistency. We're trying to we're trying to be able to control variables such as standard deviations and, and stuff like that. And you know, always my goal is to spend less time on the bench and more time at the range. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, um, and that, that actually funnels right into my next question because my next ahead. question was how much time do you want to spend loading, and uh, what are you what is your goal when you go out and you run over a chronograph? What do you want for a standard deviation in your extreme spread? Uh, okay, so that's that's <laughs> that's, that's that's funny uh, that you asked that because I, I got twenty rounds left from the uh, from the PRS finale, and I I'm excited to shoot them over a chronograph to see where my spreads are at. But anyways, um, going back to your question, I feel like the more information that I started figuring out in the sport, the more that I started to 
uh, I guess, you know, separate the, the science from the actual practical application from it, you know, if that makes sense, right? As far as like, I started second guessing a lot of things like, okay, uh, you know, maybe I'm missing a shot because my standard deviation off and stuff like that. The very first thing that I always have to assume, you know, if a, uh, if a shot is off target, right, was a bad wind call or a bad press, so all shooter error, right? Because I think as a shooter, when we interface behind that rifle, we're always going to be the weakest, weakest link behind that. So, you know, going to original question, I think, you know, as a competitive shooter, I like to have SDs within 20 or my ES within 20. Um, and my SDs usually, you know, from the five to eight range, you know what I mean? That's where my consistently of reloading is at. But, um, I know that I don't like to chase groups. I don't like to chase, you know, one shot, five, you know, one whole five round groups. Like, you know, uh, you ever check out that, uh, a plot or a Brian Litz kind of like Wes study on what matters. I, I have a little bit, but not. Not a whole lot now. Yeah, so he does like this kind of like Wes, um, like, you know, hit probability of what really matters. Is it your group size? Is it, you know, your wind calls or whatever the case is? And it goes to find out that you, I mean, you have like a, you know, going from like a half inch group to a quarter MOA group, you've got like a five or 6% chance of increase of hitting that target. But being a good wind caller, I mean, you have like a 10 to I don't know what the numbers are, right? But it's a lot more exaggerated, right? Being a, a wind caller down to the one mile per hour than you do having a, a half inch group versus a quarter inch group, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And uh, kind of on top of that, you talked a little bit there about the accuracy. I guess from your your point of view, what uh, what type of accuracy do you need? Not necessarily what type of ac accuracy do you want? Um, what kind of accuracy you need? So you need to be confident in your weapon system is honestly, you're going to be able to at least produce a minimum, minimum of a half MOA group. Right. And, and the reason why I say that is if you look at, let's say, you know, target sizes, you know, in relation to most of these, you know, go back to application. So if we're talking about competitive rifle shooting, most of the time I'm shooting at a target that's two to three MOA. So at that point, you know, two to three MOA at at 500 yards i theoretically if i'm perfect conditions i should be shooting a two and a half inch group at at a you know a, a 15 inch target right but now you get off your belly you got that wobble zone does that does that make sense yeah absolutely. If, if, if you've got a if you've got a if you've got a two and a half three moa wobble zone right because now you have a let's say you have a one minute gun you know your 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 margin of error is very little because like imagine like a circle right and now just radiusing over that over that three moa target your bullet could be anywhere in that one moa but now you shrink it down to a half moa you know now you even if you clip that left edge of the target you're most likely going to uh, result in a success on uh, uh, achieving your impact if that kind of makes sense yeah no I, absolutely i mean that's yeah, after having shot one match, you know, you you get a lot a lot more experience under your belt like you have and, and stuff like that really pops. But I mean, you know, having shot one match, I kind of get a general idea of all these different concepts and this different different shooting positions and how 
every little thing is going to affect your final outcome. So, so, so as a newer shooter perspective, my question to you is what, why, okay. So what, what have you figured out is, has mattered most when you shot the, I mean, I guess, let me rephrase that. Were you able to see, um, your hand loads differentiated from a, let's say a, a factory load in the difference of your shooting? Um, yeah, I, I mean, definitely. I've, I've never shot factory loads through that rifle of mine. Um, all I've ever shot through it was the hand loads, but, yep. um, and, and when I went to the match, my wife and all, we actually only had about 80, 80 rounds down the barrel. So I definitely need to do some more, um, some more load data and stuff. But, uh, no, I mean, I was, when, when I got there for side in on Sunday, um, I hadn't shot that rifle over a hundred yards. And so, uh, I was kind of jumping in the deep end, but, uh, no, I was pleased with, uh, pleased with my hand loads and everything throughout the match. I think most of the times that I missed, it was definitely shooter error. It didn't have to do with, uh, my work on the bench. So for sure. Have you, have you, so one thing that I would, you know, this is kind of like the newer shooters out there that before they get into reloading, um, is, is go and shoot a match with factory ammo. The reason why I say that is because I think until you're able to shoot the difference or know for a fact that that's your ammo that is causing issues, I personally think that you should spend more time at the range versus tinkering with loads, if that makes sense, right? Because when guys go straight into load development, I mean, they spend majority of their time testing their loads. Would you agree? Yeah, right? no, so you, you know, absolutely. You shoot, yeah. shoot three or five rounds. You know what I mean? And uh, and now they've spent they spent two hours out of their day because they they had to shoot, you know, let's say twenty rounds over a chrono. They they're letting their barrel cool down. So now after those two hours, the last thing they want to do is work on stuff like wind calls and positionals and stuff like that. They're just ready to kind of head home. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with you. I, um, you know, I was in the middle of hunting season during that. So I would have definitely got, wish I had got more time behind the gun and doing some more positional shooting and just more practice with the rifle. But as the way it was, I, I didn't get more time, but, um, uh, my next question for you is, uh, what ballistic solver would you recommend to a new shooter that doesn't necessarily have a Kestrel and they don't necessarily understand um, understand ballistic solvers and maybe don't know how to true their data and, and stuff like that? What would be something you would point somebody to that's really, really easy but yet effective uh, to learn? That, that's actually a, a very good question, Eli, because Philip's the poster boy for Kestrel, so I want to know what he says here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully, I'm not getting paid by any company to promote anything. Um, so if you look at my ballistic solver or my, my phone, I've got actually like 10 different um, ballistic apps, right? Because as a long range instructor, I want to see what is, you know, where the differentiation between, you know, algorithms or whatever the case is. Um, but from a newer shooter standpoint, I think uh, from a training standpoint, the easiest one that I found user, inter user interface wise is a Hornady Ford off solver and it's free. Um, huh. Yeah, so um, it, especially if you shoot a Hornady bullet, uh, that Ford off solver is um, very accurate uh, once you true it out to that specific range. Um, 
so yeah, the, the Hornady Ford off, it's free on either Android or, um, Google. And that's actually what solver that I teach, uh, or I use it as a training aid when I teach my external ballistics class here at uh, Long Range University. Nice. Um, next question I got is, uh, so I, I found at the match, you know, um, you're wanting to put your environmentals in. I'm from Colorado, and that was in Arizona. So obviously, your environmentals change. My question as a new shooter is, um, how much should I worry about my environmental changes throughout the day and keep updating my calculator to the current environmentals, whether you're using DA or or everything else? How, how often should I be worried about updating, especially if I don't have a cash flow? You know, I, I kind of don't want to bug people to use or get the DA if they're not going to get it. So I guess as a new shooter, um, just so I'm not feeling like I'm being a nuisance and keep asking, how often would you uh, mess with changing it? That, that's good. Another solid question. So uh, back when I was, you know, new shooter uh, into the sport, um, I mean, that's what I did, right? Every, every 30 minutes, maybe every hour, all I did was take my Kestrel out, swing in the air, update my environmentals, um, to, to get the actual real time data on, um, the, you know, for my dopes or my, for my data. And then I started to realize that I'm spending too much time thumbing through this Kestrel, um, you know, as soon as my stage brief is over, right. When I could be focusing on things like wind or what the shooter in front of me is doing and, and this what comes with experience right obviously is starting to gauge your shooting capability against other people in your squad so you can kind of general idea of what kind of time hacks you're making and stuff like that but um what i've started doing i started actually doing this in october um was as soon as i i checked in on that friday i would get a you know general atmospheric and da from my kestrel and then i'd write that information down and then you know, um, I would take that information from my Kestrel and I, every 20 yards go from, I'm looking at my dope sheet right now from, uh, the, uh, finale and from 140 yards all the way out to a thousand, I have my dopes and this is with a 70 degree at 70 degrees. Uh, so in the mornings when we started shooting, it was probably like 45 and then, you know, the, the, the hottest it got maybe at like noon or one o'clock, it was like 75. So but I use this dope card even at 45 degrees, even out to about seven, 800 yards. The only time that I whipped out my Kestrel was for the long bomb stages, making sure that I had the correct atmospheric temperatures because after doing the, the data study and stuff like that, I mean, it's a like a 0.05 difference in dope uh, when you go from like 40 degrees to 70 degrees, right? I mean, not too many people can shoot that difference. Um, so I, I, I like to think of it as, is updating every, you know, 30 minutes is outside of the noise. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something good to know. Um, and real quick, Eli, I want to interject when you're at a match, don't ever be afraid to ask guys for, for data information on whether it's, you know, if you think you have the right dope or what their dope is, if they're shooting a similar caliber, or if you need an update on atmospherics. I mean, anybody that you ask out there is going to be more than happy to help you out. Yeah, no. And, and they were, they were more than helpful. And I, I think I only updated it, my DA two or three times during the first day. And then I think I only did it once the second day, but I was just more, you know, not only for my 
my knowledge, but other people like, you know, I personally didn't know how much DA affected it. I've messed with it a little bit on the, on the calculator, but I didn't know it a thousand plus yards, you know, if, you know, a thousand foot of density altitude is really going to make that much difference that you have to switch it. So. No, I, I, I think, yeah. And that's getting into like the, the, you know, you're going to hear two sides of the story. It's like, okay, well now you're stacking on variables. Well, you know, yes you are but it's so minute that i i I started believing that you know focusing on a good wind call and a good trigger press um and and a game plan is because again you know we're looking at most target sizes are pretty generous in the sense that you know two to three minute targets so you have that room for play so the goal is to always get within your wobble zone within that, within that you know center mass of the target, whatever the case is, so that now you know those variables aren't adding on. Gotcha. Yeah, that that definitely definitely makes sense. So uh, next question is mill or MOA? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we could do an entire show just on this. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay, so again, going back to because you're a hunter, right? Um, yeah. You, you grew up hunting and, and stuff like that, so you probably you're used to MOA, and a yep. lot of hunters are, right? I mean, especially with where I'm at at, at Gunworks, um, and that's fine. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with MOA because MOA in mills is all it is is an angular unit of measurement, right? In the sense that, you know, even if we shot a a a match in meters, right? Um, all you're going to do is you're just going to convert the math into yards. Does that make sense? Because when I'm looking at a target at 500 yards, my, my drop is going to be the same in the sense that I'm still holding up based off of that distance of the target. Um, and, and what I mean by that is a lot of people kind of get wrapped around with, you know, looking at things in, in inches. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going off track here, but if you're going to go to a competition, I think that you should stick in mills because that's what everyone's language is talking and it makes it easier for uh, the shooters and stuff like that to correct you, especially if you're a newer shooter. Uh, because I have been to a match where I was spotting and the the shooter was in minutes. And this is before I came a, a gunworks instructor. I had never worked with minutes. I was like, Hey man, you're about a half mil off to the left. And he's like, I'm in minutes. And I was like, Oh, you're about a half hour to the left. <laughs> but i i i did i knew how to do the conversion but you know just that extra time that i had to take to do the conversion now i i couldn't give them an accurate correction right um so that's the thing that you you kind of have to look for is like okay if i'm going to a competition military comp or uh you know one of these precision rifle matches you know everyone's going to be talking in mills so i think that you know being mills is going to be beneficial for that shooter Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I did. I mean, having RO'd those first couple matches, you know, you realize pretty quick that out of 120 shooters, there's probably five people shooting MOA and everybody else is shooting mill. And and coming for me, especially from the hunting background, you know, I, my scopes weren't even MOA. You know, they were, you know, in inches at 100 yards, you know, a three to nine. So close to an MOA, but a little different. But so for me, it wasn't a big switch um, since I didn't dial and I didn't really know it. So I went ahead and just switched to mill for pretty much everything. Even most of my hunt scopes now, um, I just run mill. So I run the same thing, but that what you're saying is everybody talks mill was definitely an eye opener. The first, 
first couple matches I ROed, I definitely definitely learned to go mill. Yeah, based on, and, based on the ease of it. And 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 that's the thing with with me as an instructor, as far as being universal, right? So, um, you're probably gonna go into this, but like making a wind call, you know, a lot of times you'll hear shooters be like, "Oh, I was holding point four, point five left," right? Well, in a ten man squad, you've got four or five people different, not only running different calibers, but running different bullets, you know, so, you know, everyone's wind calls are different. So I like to, you know, look at wind calls in, in a mile per hour bracket, right? So it's like now that mile per hour is universal for everyone. Cause now I look at my, my sheet, like, Oh, he used a four mile an hour wind. Okay. My four mile an hour wind is 0.6 when he was using say a 0.4. Right. Um, if that, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. So, and, out of curiosity, Philip, what's your favorite reticle, and why? Um, the the uh, so I, I love the Collis uh, Scam R three. Um, it the windage lines right are um, every two tenths. That's that's important. It it I started with the. Uh, I, well, I, in my in my Marine Corps career, I started with the uh, 312 mil dot duplex, and I thought that thing was the greatest thing since sliced bread until I jumped behind a Christmas tree reticle, and I so I went over to the uh, EBR2C with the Vortex, but on wind, I mean they only have half mil increments, but with wind, I mean you need to be as exact as possible, so like 0 0.2, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, where I didn't get that. Uh, in the EBR2C, and that's what one thing that you see with you know this SKMR3 is I have a wind call down to the two tenths, right? Or I mean it, down to the tenth, um, and, as, and as well as movers, right? Shooting mover, moving targets, you know, uh, being able to accurately make a hold to 1.8, 1.5, whatever the case is, um, versus let's say like an EBR2C, um, where it only gives you half mil increments. And then the the, uh, the the Christmas tree is a is a huge plus, um, being able to utilize my reticle and conduct holds, especially if I'm under time, and wind is blowing. So now I can hold over, right, for both elevation and wind, um, without having to worry about dialing. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what uh, what? Real quick, uh, Eli, just so I have a general idea, what is your setup right now? So I'm running. Uh... Bighorn Origin Action, Bartland 26-inch barrel with a brake, uh, XLR chassis, uh, jewel trigger, and then my scope is a Nikon Black FX1000. Okay, so what I, uh, what, um, I guess, what, what's, the, what's the question I'm looking for? You know, what made you pick that specific build those certain parts you know was it research was it what the top shooters are using is it just you know you got behind it, you're like oh this is what i want well i mean some of some of it was research some of it was uh just location i live in grand junction where the xlr chassis are made and so i figured i'd support a, support a local business and shoot the nice. xlrs and i know they're they're a great chassis um, so that's why I went with that. Um, the Nikon, I actually won that ROing at a PRS match uh, up in Telluride. So uh, I'm running that right now. And then uh, the barrel, Bartland, I knew is a good barrel maker. So uh, 
I snagged a Bartlin and the brakes I kind of just researched online and picked the brake out and then the trigger is actually uh, off my dad's hunting rifle so I'm still in the market for a trigger um, yep. got to find something I really like I'm, I'm torn between single stage or two stage which I guess is another question but that's more just personal preference but um, yep. so so why a custom build versus let's say a factory that you could have bought, bought off the shelf and put a nice glass on top Okay, so that was actually going to be one of my questions I was going to ask you. Okay, go you, ahead. Should S- you go, send it. Should you go custom or not for your first competition rifle? It, it, so it all it's all boils down to budget, um, right? Um, and the any way you look at it, this sport is not it's not cheap, you know. Um, so it, it, it's it's almost kind of hard to be like uh, budget build. Well, if you're getting a com- competitive shooting, I mean, you're you're looking to invest a lot of money into this sport. Um, if you're an enthusiast, right, it's a different question. It's a different, you know, yeah, you can, and, you know, range limitations and stuff like that. So, you know, if your furthest range is 600 yards, the last thing you need to be doing, unless you're going to start competing, is, is buy like a, a 300 Win Mag or whatever the case is. If the furthest that you're going to ever shoot is 600 yards on a, on a weekly basis. Right. Um, but as far as competitive shooting, I started my competitive shooting career with a custom built 308. Um, and because I, 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 I picked and choose the pieces that I want. And I, again, I, I went to what the pros used right off of, uh, the, the precision rifle blog. Yep. Is that what it is? Yeah. Precision mm-hmm. rifle uh, blog. Yeah. Yep. So, Calls out. you know, 2000, yep. 2000 and, what was it 2014 15 he was doing you know what the pros were using yep he's and doing it again what, this year that'll be out yep. pretty soon and that's what i did you know when i first got into that um but because i knew the that i had to throw down some serious investment into it but um for me because of the position that i was in at cyber school it was an investment toward my my training um and you know the possibility of being able to teach others to uh, make them more successful in combat Right, right, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a good answer, I guess. I mean, a lot of it is budget, and I, I ended up going custom because, um, so my wife and I, our rifles are almost identical. They got they got different scopes and different triggers, and that's it. And so, um, being that it was something we could do together, I I didn't mind spending a little more. Um, I'm pretty blessed. She's you know as into hunting and shooting as much or more than I am, so it's pretty cool. But, um, it definitely is you know a big big investment, but. Um, for me, it was having RO'd three matches. I knew it was going to be something I was going to really enjoy, and it was something that, you know, it's it's not something you're going to wear out the rifle. You might wear out a barrel, but, I mean, everything else is going to be good for your lifetime. So um, for me, that was kind of a big factor was, you know, I'll be able to use this rifle till I'm an old guy if I want to. Um, and so for me, that was kind of the, the factor that I decided to go custom over uh, factory was I knew it would – it would last me a long time. Yeah, well, it's... It, it, you you honestly don't need a, a a custom rifle to to get into the sport, and that's that's what a lot of people think. It's like the the way to get into the sport is is by having what you have, going out and failing, and then figuring out what you need based off of your experience. A lot of times, people are like trying to get the perfect setup to go to go out and shoot their very first match. It's like. Well, you don't even know what you need because you haven't been to a match. 
Right. You know, you know what I mean? So guys invest all this money and realize, oh man, I, I don't need this. I don't need that. Or I bought the wrong things because, you know, after playing with everyone else, because obviously you, you see how friendly the sport is after playing with, with everyone else's gear, you know, this has worked better for me. I yeah, think absolutely. my first, uh, sorry, I think my first rifle was actually, uh, it was the Remington 700 SPS Tactical, you know, $600, yep. 308 right off the shelf at uh, Turner's or wherever the heck I got it. And that was the first rifle I actually took my first precision rifle class with. And I still have that rifle to this day. So... You know, you can yeah, start off custom or, or, or stock. It's just, you know, like you said, where your budget lays. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Another question um, that kind of ties into that is, uh, oh, if you are going to go either factory or custom, where, where do you even begin to look when you have all these different manufacturers, all these different gun makers? I mean, what what would you tell someone if they said, well, how do I get information on all these different parts, all these different guns, all these different scopes? Where would you point them to or what would you say to somebody that's trying to, I guess, wade through wade through the sea of different gun makers and gun parts? Um, follow me on Instagram, Vallejo underscore 0317. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Supporting your local businesses is important, right? Um, I was, you know, fortunate to get picked up by Short Action Customs early in my career, in my shooting career uh, out of Ohio. Uh, Mark Gordon is a super good dude. He built, he builds phenomenal rifles, um, and he's, you know, his attention to detail. But, you know, every custom rifle builder with advancement of technology is very passionate about their job, and they, they build hammers, right? It, at that point, you're just, it's like, you know, it's like looking at uh, athletic gear. You know, are you a Nike guy or are you an Under Armour guy? You know what I mean? Um, or Adidas, right? It, it's all the same stuff, just a different um, brand on it. So, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I would say is, is, you know, go to a match and, you know, or you don't even have to, to shoot it, RO it, you know, get exposed to the shooters that are out there, see what gear they're running. And then, you know, um, your alt, it's ultimately going to help when you have a shooting community, um, that's near you, if that makes sense. So my shooting community, when I first got down, other than the sniper community was the SoCal precision rifle team, you know, and a lot of them had short action custom rifles, um, because of Solomon. And so it was a testament to that, you know, that they shot well, because of the rifle so like hey I, they have a sack build so i want a sack build right so i think your little group that you're able to you know shoot with a monthly it's going to have an influence of, of, of where you're going to you know who you're going to use as a build if that if that answers your question it makes sense yeah no it does and i mean that's pretty much pretty much what i did was just word of mouth and, and talking with people is really what parts i decided on and i think I think I would really encourage a new shooter that's just getting into the sport. If they are going to go with a custom custom rifle build, go RO a couple matches and, and see what people are shooting and stuff. Cause I know that helped me out a ton, just seeing what people liked and what people didn't like, what pros and cons to everything. I think when you're making an investment that big, it's, 
it's invaluable to go to a match in, in RO and, and, and talk. Well, so, what a lot of people don't realize as well is your rifle is set up for you. So what I mean by that is if you get into a race car, that race car has to be set up exactly for you in order to form or in order for you to perform to the best of your capabilities. When Philip and I first started working together, you know, he'd come over to my house and, and he'd be watching me get into different positions. And he noticed different things that I had never paid attention to. And he was like, your rifle is set up wrong. And I'd been shooting that rifle that way for almost a year. And he made a couple of tweaks. It took us a little bit of time to get it fine tuned, but you know, we noticed I have a very long length of pole and my cheek riser sits very high. And that's how my body, because of my shape and my, you know, I have a broken collarbone, whatever. That's how I have to sit behind that rifle. So when you're going out there and you're building a custom rifle, I think it's important that you try a wide variety of things. Even if your friends are using something different, find what works best for you because ultimately if you don't feel comfortable behind that rifle you're never going to be able to perform to its capabilities yep that, 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 that's a great question um so uh after so so travis after i i, I listened to your podcast um with chris i actually reached i added my friend on facebook i was like Dude, awesome podcast, really great perspective on a new shooter. That's why I, I pinged you and wanted to do this, right? Um, because, you know, for me as not only as an instructor, uh, but a, a top-level competitor, you know, I'm always on the side of the mid-pack to newer shooters, right? In the sense that, you know, there's people diving into this sport, not with the wrong information, but they're, they're what I've, uh, the, the trend is to chase the hype. Right. I would never want anyone to, to, you know, look at the finale, you know, PRS finale is like, well, what was the top shoot running? And then build my whole exact rifle from buttstock to, to muzzle brake, thinking that, right. that it's, it's going to set them up for success. It's absolutely not the case. Right. Um, so, you know, he said, you know, I was like, I, I mentioned a quote to him. I was like, knowledge, uh, knowledge without mile, mileage is bullshit. Right. And he also said, "Knowledge or mileage in the wrong direction is also bad." <laughs> you know what I mean? In the sense it's that, true. yeah, if you if you don't, you know, um, identify the fact that okay, my rifle isn't set up correctly, blah blah blah, it's gonna it takes a lot longer for someone to learn something than learn something new. And I, and I see it right with all my students who, you know, roughly are anywhere from, you know, in the 40 to, you know, 60 age, age groups, you know what I mean? And me as a 13 year old and, and motivated and enthusiastic instructor, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them essentially like a modern day marksmanship, right. To where they have to now unlearn because a lot of them are very similar to Eli. They've been hunting and, and shooting and killing things all their life. Right. When they actually take a formal course, they're like, and this is completely opposite of what I was taught and what, you know, I, I, I've been doing. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that my way is the, uh, is, is the, the, the only way, but I, I feel like it's a tool that makes you more efficient. 
no, there's definitely you can never have too much knowledge. I mean, everybody has a little bit of a different style of shooting. That's why there's so many different instructors out there, and I've had the opportunity to work with uh, several of them. But from every single instructor that I've had the opportunity to work with, I walk away with something new and adapt it to work for me. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Eli, have you, have you done any, uh, uh, my question to you is, have you done any, um, uh, individualized training or a specific training? Um, or is it all just kind of like self-taught and, and what your buddies are doing and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. All self-taught. I mean, uh, and I, I really, me and my wife are really the only ones as of right now in my group of friends and people that I know that shoot besides people that I've met at, at matches. So we're kind of on our own. Um, here soon they're going to be starting club matches here right where we live so that'll definitely definitely increase but no i mean everything going into this match was stuff i saw either ROing or videos i watched online um and just watching like your uh, travis's connex videos that you would post on a match i mean you can learn a wealth of knowledge just watching other people shoot um I think really helped me out. So, and a, a big thing, Eli, don't be afraid to say that you watch Philip's selfie videos as well. A lot of people do. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> well, okay, so watching a video, watching my video is one thing, but now trying to recreate it, and then, you know, it, it, I mean, it's cliche, cliche, cliche as it is, it's like what you, what you think you look like, but what you really look like, right? Right. And, and until someone is actually there that knows what they're looking for is able to look at you and be like, hey, man, you're doing this this way, even though I think you think that you're doing it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, 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 th and that's important because now you start to, you know, uh, put two and two together in the sense that, okay, this is starting to be more efficient for me because, you know, guys that guys that what I say are, are, are kind of self-taught and are chasing the hype and, the, and, and, and refuse to look at, you know, certain things like the fundamentals of marksmanship, right? Uh, they always, they, they reach a plateau, you know what I mean? Um, and there are naturally talented shooters out there, you know, don't get me wrong that, that didn't take any kind of training. They're all self-taught. Um, but that's, you know, that's about 10%, you know, and like I said, my, my, I'm always erring to the side of the other 90% of the guys that are trying to figure out that next, how to get to that next level, you know, whether it's like, I'm tired of being at the bottom of the, you know, the stack. I want to be a mid pack shooter or I'm tired of being a mid pack shooter. I want to bleed my way into the top 10 or top 20, you know? Um, and I see it when I squad myself with these shooters, um, in the sense that they've never had anyone be like, Hey man, you're, you're doing this with the trigger or you're having a hard time finding your targets, whatever the case is. Right. Because a lot of them are, are just self-taught. All right, guys, so our time is almost up. So, Eli, one more quick question, and then we're going to have to wrap the show here. Okay, yeah, I'll ask one more, and it, you just kind of touched on it. You talked about finding the target. I know for a lot of new shooters, um, finding the target, you know, once you once your time starts and you're looking for that target through the scope, some people really struggle. Um, I've hunted enough that I've used enough rifle scopes that for me it's, it's not much of an issue. Um, so my question is, how do you train yourself to find targets quicker in your scope and what magnification if you were going to tell a new shooter 
that they should, if, if they could stick one magnification on their scope and run it for a whole match, what would you, what would you tell them? Um, so at the PRS finale, I, I didn't run anything over 15, 15 power. And we, the furthest target we shot was like just shy of a thousand. Um, but, uh, you know, going, and it, it all goes back to, uh, you know, your game plan, right? Your, your priorities of work. The second that you get a stage brief, um, the very first thing is target identification, because if you don't know where the targets are at, you can't shoot at it. Right. Um, so finding good things like reference points that you can see with your naked eye, um, because a lot of new shooters, the very first thing they always want to do is their comfort zone is the max magnification of, a, of an optic. So let's say if it's a 25 power optic, their, their comfort zone is at 25, po- 25 power. And they think that as soon as they get onto that rifle, the very first thing they should do is go into that scope, regardless of where their angle is at compared to their target. So a good you know way technique is understanding, okay, find the target with my eyes. Once I find a target with my eyes, I square my body up so I can lay my natural point of aim up. And then as if, if my body is squared to the target and I'm looking over my scope, if I bring that rifle to me and engage it to my body, once I come into my scope, as long as my field of view is backed off to about, like I said, 12 to 15 power, my target should end up in my field of view. And that's, that's the kind of like the systematic approach that I use to find a target. Gotcha. But you like that plug there, Travis? I like that plug. That, that was awesome, brother. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate both of you being on the show today. Philip, you and I have talked about trying to make this a regular, you know, a, a regular part of the show where we get a new shooter on and answer some of their questions. Eli, I really appreciate you volunteering to be the first one to, to try this little project out i think it went very well i think our listeners are really going to enjoy the knowledge that they just picked up from both of you so i want to say thank you to both of our guests philip vallejo and eli harris uh you guys have been phenomenal and that's going to wrap our show today so until next time you guys keep shooting be safe and we look forward to seeing you on the range take care